Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about investing in your business. Now, we want to bust the common perception that it's risky to invest in your business and talk about why and really what you want to think about when it comes to investing in general and specifically investing in your business. We're your host, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. Welcome, Bruce. Good morning, Rachel. I think this is going to be an interesting topic, and it's, it's also going to be a topic that uh, you and I are going to attempt to do our best job that we can to get our points across but we also want to respect uh, other people's opinions on how they think about this. But we just want people to know uh, our opinions on this uh, from a uh, from a mindset perspective, mostly. And I really love that you share that because we do want to be very respectful in this conversation and every conversation that we have, because again, we are not the end all be all um, authority on all of these matters, but we do believe that you should be investing in your business and we want to talk about why. So we're going to set the stage here. So first of all, you likely, if you're listening to this show, are probably building a business or maybe you hope to someday. And if you are building business, you're a business owner, somewhere along the way, you had this vision to create this product or a service and be able to provide that to other people and deliver something that would improve their lives and the world around you. And you probably are wanting to or are already hopefully getting paid for that expertise. Now you want to build a successful future for yourself, for your family, and improve the world. You're probably pouring your heart and soul into improving and marketing and getting your messaging right to attract the right audience. And you at the same time are hearing this overwhelming message in most of the world around you that, hey, it's risky to invest in your business. So should you really be investing in your business? We want to uncover this and really unpack it for you today. So should you invest in your business or should you diversify? How do you think about your business in the grand scheme of building long-term, sustainable, extraordinary wealth? We're going to answer things like, should I invest in my business? Is it risky to invest in my business? And what's the best way to reduce the risk of investing in my business? So we're going to share our perspective, hopefully give you some clarity and really just the freedom to know what you think in terms of should you invest in your business or not, and really make the right decision for you in your particular situation. Now, where does this fit in the cash flow system? We always like to come back to the context because that really helps you to see where the big picture and the lay of the land is in terms of long-term building wealth. So again, building your business is just one part of the cash flow system. First, in the foundational level, you want to become efficient and keep as much of your money as possible. The next layer that you build on top of that foundation is protection, protecting the wealth that you've built. And finally, on top, you want to make sure that you are using as much of your resources towards increasing and growing wealth. So today, we're talking about investing, which is part of stage three, turning your money into more. So let's dive in. Now, Bruce, I know you talk with business owners on a regular basis from all different angles and all different perspectives. What is the prevailing message that we hear out in the world today about investing in business? We have to talk about two different things here, uh, Rachel. People say investing in your business or investing in a business. I think that's two different, oh, yeah, two different things. 
So people will say, well, you don't want to start a business or uh, invest in a business such as buying one because that's very, very risky. And then other people I see that actually have successful businesses or businesses that are, you know, cash flowing, they do see the benefits of investing in their business. So there, I think we want to talk about those two different things. There's, there's, a, there's a sentiment out there that says, oh boy, don't invest in a business or buy a business because that's very, very risky. And then there's other people that say, well, I have a business. It's going fairly well. It's it's cash flowing. I know if I invest in that business even more, it's going to cash flow even more. So those are, the, those are, I think, the two sediments out there. Absolutely. And I would say as we're starting this conversation, Bruce, you brought up in the very beginning that we're going to be respectful and make sure that we really talk about all of the different angles. So one of the reasons why there's this prevailing mindset that it's risky to invest specifically in your own business is that a lot of businesses do fail. I mean, we talked to Mike Michalowicz of Profit First, and he said eight out of 10 businesses fail. The reason is that they're not profitable. So if many businesses fail, then in general, investing in business, you could say, well, I have an eight out of 10 chance of losing my money if I invest in a business. But really what we want to look at is what is business and specifically what is business that you are building? And I would honestly say it really depends. Is it risky to invest in business? It depends. First of all, what stage of business are you in? Are you in a startup phase? Are you in a proven model where you're already cash flowing and you know that if you put a dollar in today, you're going to get a dollar out? Are you building on hope or do you have a strategy in your business? Really, there's going to be difference of of opinion and that is really okay. Uh, We believe that you as a human are your number one greatest investment. This really comes back to the mindset, Bruce, that I think you were talking about earlier. This idea that if I am the best person to be in control of my financial future, the best way that I can improve my chances of success are to invest in my own personal education and build up the knowledge and skill that I need to become that person who can be successful, right? Yeah. And here's the thing. Um, I, I do believe it comes, it comes down to mindset. It also comes down to your definition of failure. So we're Seems using good. failure as uh, you have not produced enough cash flow to you can, so that you continue in your endeavor. Uh, some people would say it wasn't a failure because you learned a lot from that particular aspect. And that's what we're talking about uh, as far as you are the person that's in control. So even if you started something, you learn throughout the entire process of building that or taking over that business. And that is a, a better MBA, in my opinion, than what you could do if you just sat in a classroom and listened to somebody uh, talk about that so in my in that oh, definitely. in that case maybe it's not a failure if you're if your the definition of failure is you don't have enough cash flow to sustain your life well then I guess it's a failure if your definition of failure um, doesn't include though learning from the process then I think that you, even if you don't produce cash flow you haven't failed uh, you've just gotten what they call feedback I mean everybody's heard that before mm-hmm. so you know there's no such thing as failure it's, it, there's only feedback. So I think really it comes down to your mindset. We have known people over and over who've tried different businesses. It hasn't gone well. Uh, they had to shut it down. Then they started another business and it hasn't gone well. And then they shut it down. Then they started, they started a business and, 
all of a sudden it, it did really, really well. We were talking before the podcast that um, I was having a very deep discussion with, uh, I think it was Bob Murphy, um, the economist that we've had on the show. And, and Bob and I were talking about mm-hmm. you can start a business or take over a business and do everything wrong. But because of the economic climate is so good, or all of a sudden the government changes something, or there is an there is a change in technology that y- you can actually benefit from. You've done everything wrong, but because of those two things, all of a sudden your business is successful. The converse mm-hmm. is also true. You could have uh, the, you could have all the perfect setups. You could be very well capitalized. You could have a goods or service, and then all of a sudden. Uh, something happens with government regulations or there, another technology comes about and you can't pivot more, uh, fast enough. And so you actually fail, even though you did everything correct. It, this is actually, hap- yeah. actually happening right now with people in the, um, the recycling industry. So the recycling industry, everybody thinks that, oh, we're trying to be a greener planet. If you look at the political climate right now, we're talking about green, green, green. And uh, the Chinese were actually buying our waste, recycling waste, at $200 a ton um, just about seven or eight months ago. And so there was all kinds of businesses popping up and recycling on the East Coast. Well, just recently, because of the tariffs uh, that were put on by our government, that, that same um, recycling that was being bought at $200 is falling all the way down to $18 a, a, a ton. Oh, wow. So you can see that you did all, everything possible to set that up. You might have been cash flowing really, really well. Nothing changed. We still want a green planet. We still, we still want mm-hmm. to do it for ourselves. And yet, because of some government interaction real quickly, the, the price of the recycling just plummeted. So now you have to say, was that, yeah, was that a failure? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I guess in some definitions that it's a failure, but in that case to see a, some people say, well, they weren't diversified enough or they didn't, they, they didn't pivot enough. Well, it's hard to pivot in your particular business when something happens from a government regulation, basically overnight. So, yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, it's interesting because as you're talking, well, entrepreneurship in general or business ownership is this mindset of saying, how can I find a need and fill it profitably? I mean, when the um, recycling landscape shifts, now I think there's going to be new and better innovation to change and do something differently. That old business model is not going to still work in the Mm -hmm. new environment. But that's why entrepreneurs exist in the world to be able to innovate and make make things work for people in the most productive way. And what's interesting, I was thinking back to real estate in about 2007, everyone was a real estate investing expert and had a thriving business model when it came to that. And then all of a sudden, 2008, 2009 happened, and the landscape changed, the same business model was not continuing to work. And those people looked like they were failing. But at the same time, it's, it is very fascinating to find a way to say, how can I build a business that is meeting a need in today's economic and geopolitical climate? And how can I stay open to pivoting as those needs change so that I can continue to be profitable as a business? And what I would say is 
as you build a business, it's an extension of you. It's an extension of your your intellectual capital, your mode and method of serving the world and solving problems. And your business is a great place for you to invest because it is something that not only are you providing value, you can continue to innovate and grow. And it is a way that as you put more dollars into that, you expand your capability to grow that business, serve more people. And really, it all comes down to your stewardship. I mean, if you are thinking of just putting money into something and having it grow, you're not thinking about your ability to cause the business to thrive and grow. And really what we want to think about is how can we best put these dollars to work in a way that we know and control? That's the thing about business. You know your business. You can control it for the most part. I mean, yes, you still can fail. Yes, you can still have factors outside of you come in and undercut what you're doing in business. But at the same time, it's something that you know and control as opposed to somewhere you don't have knowledge and control. So well, I think go ahead, Bruce. The, the control is, is so important. So the opposite side of this, what a person would say, okay, you need to diversify. So yes, you're putting money in your business, but let's put some money somewhere else so that just in case it doesn't work, that you still have some money. Well, that money can also, whether it's a stock, bond, mutual fund, private investment, uh, real estate, that money can also go down. The problem is, is that if you put it in certain instruments, it's also going to be illiquid. So then if you need it, you need it in your business, you can't get it. And it can be illiquid in a variety of ways. If you do it like in a SEP program or a tax deferred program, then it would be illiquid. If it's in real estate, like you buy, you, you buy real estate, it's not cash flowing. Um, such as a, a second home in Florida or something, um, and, it, and it goes down in value, the, the bank may not lend you money or, or take away your line of credit. Um, if it's in a stock bond or mutual fund and, and it goes downward, um, a lot of mentality of people is, I don't want to take any money out until it recovers. So those are very difficult things when you give up control. I want to give another example of when you don't give up control. So we represent a private placement oil program called Mewborn Oil in the Permian Basin in Texas. And in 2014, uh, oil was $98.89 a barrel. And the, the Mewborn people say everybody and their, and their uh, brother got into the oil business. Well, what people think, well, that's great. You can make a lot of money then. Well, the problem is, is it's basic, it's basic e economy of scale. So now labor costs go up because you're fighting for a smaller labor market. Lease prices go up when you're leasing equipment because everybody wants a lease for more oil rigs. Um, you, have, you have land leases that go up. So then in just two years later, in 2016, oil prices were less than half, $43.74. So newborn oil was well capitalized because they had been in the business for over 50 years. So what did they do? Instead of laying off their employees, they kept all their employees on and they decided that they were going to put up rigs and take them down, put up rigs, take them down, put up rigs and take them down and, and be the best and most efficient company so that when oil prices uh, actually resumed, they could actually extract the oil out of the ground more efficiently and faster. 
And guess what else happened? Their, their employees became very loyal and they stayed with them. Uh, through uh, the, the upturn that then uh, the next uh, two years, it went all the way up to 7119. And then the final thing is the final thing is their engineers figured out we don't even have to take these things apart completely. We can actually put a hydraulic feed on them and actually uh, make them walk across the land to the next place to actually drill. Oh, wow. So when you're well when you're well capitalized and you're in control, you can actually put up with the downturns in the market. When I'm talking about market, I'm talking about the economy, downturns in the economy that you can overcome even when it was out of your control or you couldn't see it coming. Bruce, I really like that you shared that and partially because of the control aspect. Partially, it's just fascinating to hear about the details of a particular business that is bringing investors tremendous value and providing oil to consumers and also doing it profitably for the company. So there's a win-win-win happening there. But what I heard you say was being well-capitalized. And so I kind of want to come back to that. If we, as a business owner, are thinking, where am I going to put my money? First of all, we can think about putting our money into savings or investments. First of all, we always want to say, pay yourself first, build a reservoir of capital that you can use as an emergency fund, an opportunity fund that's liquid and available for you to use. Now that's thinking more about what is savings or safety. You also then, what about, you're not just going to save money forever, you want to also invest those dollars and figure out a way to say, well, I have been profitable in business enough to build up this savings, I have cash flow that I'm not spending, that's going into this savings reservoir, and then how am I going to then deploy those dollars into opportunities? That's where you then have this filter that says, is this a good investment or is it not? How am I going to invest those dollars so that I can achieve my financial goals, get myself closer to cash flow from assets instead of just cash flow from my working? That's what Robert that's what Robert Kiyosaki talks about being financially free or breaking out of the rat race. So what we want to do then is say, how do I want to deploy these dollars so that I can put them into the best investments? What are the best investments for me? Well, that really comes down to what do you know and control? Now, coming back to the idea of being well capitalized, that I'm assuming means that they had cash flow in that business and that they stored that and they stored it well so that they could use it to invest in their business with. Am I am I understanding correctly and in, in saying that well? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, sometimes I don't think we're, we're clear enough. You know, we're not saying that you cannot put your money into someplace else. We we believe that having something that's safe as an opportunity fund is the best way to store money for your business. Um, but we understand there's different mindsets. So let's say that somebody says, well, I also want to take some of my money from my business and put it somewhere else. Well, you're your best financial advisor. So if, if you think that's true, we would just say, don't put it somewhere where you're looking for capital appreciation. So you're hoping it's going to go up. We would say put it into cash flowing assets, whether that be real estate, whether that be in the oil program that I was talking about or the garbage program that we were talking, recycling program that we were talking about, because at least it's kicking off cash flow that you can use back into your business at that time. Right. So I, I, I just would like to make that distinction between uh, 
yes, if you're if we're saying you're your best financial advisor, if you want to diversify a little bit, I think the diversification should always include cash flowing assets. Absolutely. And ultimately, if we think about a business, the goal is to move that into becoming a cash flowing asset. I mean, if you are the business owner and you're self-employed and you are the foundation, you are the hands and feet of the business and you are playing all the roles, that's not a cash flowing asset. That is a job that you are working in and your name is on the door. Really, what we want to have is a cash flowing asset, which what that means is you have systems and processes, you have a team in place, you could step out and go on a hiatus or a vacation, you could leave for a month or two, and the business would continue to produce cash flow. Owning that asset is owning a cash flowing asset. And if that's the goal, then you want to grow to that position. And what I what I do want to say a separate idea here is that if you're just taking all your profit or all of your excess money and plowing that back into the business, that's not truly a successful way of investing in your business. What we are talking about is having that cash flow that you're not spending, saving that in an emergency or opportunity fund. And then once the money is there, you say, I have enough in reserves. I want to deploy this capital somehow. And where's the best place to put that? So I do just want to distinguish and make that separation that we're not talking about just putting every dollar back into the business because that's not investing in your business well. And that's also not building a cash flowing asset that is sucking the money dry and not truly being profitable as Mike McCallowitz would talk about. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the other separation that I want to make is when we talk about putting your dollars into something that is producing cash flow and in a place that you control, Let's just kind of talk about if we weren't. So Bruce, you said the difference between a accumulation or appreciation of dollars, looking for that or looking for cash flow from assets. So what are some options if you are starting to say, well, now I do have this opportunity fund. I have 100,000, 500,000, a million dollars in this opportunity fund. I want to go ahead and put this to work somehow. Who is better to be in control of that money than you? I mean, you have several options. You could just go put that money in mutual funds invest it through IRAs and put it into stocks of other companies that you have no control over. And the thing with that is that you are putting your money in a position where the typical financial advising community, I'm, I'm not going to um, say a particular person, but the way that the typical financial mindset works is that if your money is under the management and control of other financial advisors, they get paid in that position. However, they don't get paid when you say, I'm going to choose to invest in my business to purchase this particular marketing system that is going to expand my business and the ability to produce revenue so that I'm not just self-employed, but I'm building a self-employed business. Bruce, am I sharing that well? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think so. And the, the one of the things that I was really, as we were, were preparing for this podcast, is your example about... And it sounds like we're beating up mutual funds here. And once again, they sell a lot of mutual funds, you know, right. and it is for the right person if, if that's what they want to do. If they, if they truly say, I don't know how to do anything, or I don't want to take any risk with a business, please help me, Mr. Advisor. Uh, I don't know what else to do. I'm not going to start my own. I'm not going to study all this stuff. Please help me then yes, that's a way to, to attempt to actually build wealth in a, a way that, um, you know, that's, that you know. 
Yeah, and that's well said, Bruce, because honestly, there's a lot of people there. And that's not wrong. I want to be really clear that that's not wrong. If you are in a position where you say, I don't know how to build a business. I'm not in a business. I don't want to start one. I don't want to be in real estate. I don't want to start getting into real estate. I don't know anything about those things and I'm not interested in learning. Then yes, maybe that is the right investment for you. What we're trying to say on this podcast is, is that if you have the mindset that you want to either start a business, buy a business, become a business owner, then you have to consider that other places to put your money is probably not going to be the best thing for you to do. And we want you to think about that as far as your mindset, because because unfortunately, um, a myth repeated over and over sometimes is thought to be true. And mm-hmm. a lot of people say you have to diversify, diversify, diversify. Well, diversification in 2008, nine did not work in the stock market and diversification for you personally may not work either. But if you do believe in a certain business aspect and you know something very, very well, then maybe diversification would not be what's best for you at that time. You want to sink all your energy and your time and effort into that particular business. Yeah. Uh, and, and capital. Yes. And I'll come back to a couple things on that. If we look at the Forbes 400 list, no one got onto that list without owning a business of some kind and providing massive value to a lot of people through either having a controlling interest in those companies, owning those companies, or building them from the ground up. And when we look at that, most of the people did not get there by just handing their money over to another manager and saying, well, hey, I'm just going to trust and hope that this all works out for me. They really took a lot more control. So everyone on that list created their wealth through some form of business. And now, again, this is two different mindsets. It's two different types of people. But the one thing that you want to probably ask yourself is, do I want to be in the driver's seat of my financial future? Or do I want to be sitting on the handlebars of the bike of somebody else who's driving? And really, we I want to be in the driver's seat of my financial future. And usually, for the most part, the people that we are talking to on this podcast, if you've listened with us this far, you're in a position of wanting to take more and more control. And that might not be going into business ownership, but you're wanting to be more in a position of control rather than just sitting on the handlebars. So here's something to think about. If you're in a position where you own an asset of a business, that's something that you can get insurance to cover. It's something that is an asset that you want to protect. It's also something that you typically can get a loan for. But think about this. Can you get a loan from a bank against your mutual funds? No. No, I mean, that's absolutely not. So you can't say, hey, I've got $500,000 in mutual funds. I want to take a loan out against that. The banks will say, well, that money is too risky. It's not a guarantee that it's going to stay $500,000 of value. So you want to be in a position where you are building assets that are in control and that are not going to drop in value. So you also can't get insurance on mutual funds because the insurance company would see them as too risky as well. But you can get loans for your business or rental real estate, and you can insure those assets as well. So if you think about it from a risk standpoint, hard tangible physical assets like real estate are less risky. Also, businesses that have a proven track record of cash flow are going to be less risky in terms of being a true asset. Just to just to clarify this, there's going to be some people that might be listening to, and they're going to say, "Well, if you if you buy stocks and bonds and mutual funds on, in a margin account, uh, then that's like having a loan except those are 
those are um, uh, you can have a margin call at any time. So if those if those particular investment vehicles lose money, um, you will actually have to come up with those with those funds to replace it. So it's not it's not the same thing as having you know an insured uh, or a, a loan for to actually start a business. The thing that I think that the other thing that we have to be totally transparent on is a lot of loans are actually uh, backed by the the SBA um, Small Business Association. Mm-hmm. And so just like many incentives in the tax code, that's another incentive by our government to build businesses. Um, if you if you go to get a conventional loan on a business, especially a startup business, they're much more they're much more difficult. So just to, for for uh, complete transparency, I think we ought to we ought to just mention that too. Um, but we're trying That's to just we're, just we're not saying it's the end all of be all of everything. But you you just have to think about these different concepts as you're as you're trying to make make a determination of what your mindset is. Absolutely. And I think, Bruce, we should go in the direction of talking about, so if I am going to invest in my business, how can I think about my business in terms of risk? Now, of course, we do know, and we talked about at the beginning of the show as well, that yes, you do have a risk. There is a risk possibly of failing, but at the same position, from the same in the same breath, I can say risk and control are at the opposite ends of a spectrum. And so the way to mitigate risk is to have as much control as possible. And control then gives you more options and it allows you to have moves to make. So let's just think about this from a, an example of real estate property. So say you have a rental property and you're in a position where you're trying to evaluate, does this have risk? Yes, absolutely. There's a risk that you could potentially lose value in that business, or maybe you don't have a tenant at the time. And so it's not cash flowing. But think about this, you could kick out a bad tenant if they're not paying you, you can force appreciation by improving the property value, you can raise rents, you can hire a property manager to be able to more successfully put a good tenant into that property that is going to cash flow and pay the rents on time. You could also sell the asset. You have a lot of options because you're in a position of control. And so it's not only thinking about, is this guaranteed? There's no such thing as a guarantee when it comes to investing. There is risk associated. Any investment, any asset class, business, real estate, commodities, paper assets, there is a risk involved with all of them. But what we want to do is we want to minimize risk by having as much control and as many options as possible. And those options include having an exit strategy to get out of that particular asset or investment and saying, how can I get my money back out of this? Yeah, the rental the rental properties is, is a really interesting thing. We also help people get into real estate investment trust. And one of them is Peach Peachtree Hotels. And when they obtain a property, they often say that they don't like it to be 100% occupied. Well, wow. I mean, it's like if people are listening right now say, what do you mean they don't like if it's 100% occupied? And when I first heard it too, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, when they explain it, which means they understand their business, it makes perfect sense. And it's going to make perfect sense when I explain it to you. If it's 100% occupied, that means rents are not high enough because the rents are so low that that's never unoccupied. It, it, it isn't what is the economy is bearing right now. So they buy properties 
that are 100% occupied, even though they don't like it being 100% occupied, and then they raise rents uh, every time somebody leaves a particular apartment, they raise the rent. And uh, uh, they do it, though, what they do is they go in and rehab one unit at a time, and then and then they can raise oh, the rent. And then they, they do it when somebody else moves out, they, they do another one, raise the rent. And then they, they start charging for application fees. They start charging for for uh, pets, so on and so forth. So it's interesting. They can do that and they're very, very successful because they understand their business model. Where, where if we're just going out yes. and buying a multifamily apartment complex, we, we, would, we, we might even tell the realtor, I only want to buy ones that are 100% occupied. And then you buy it and you're thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is great. It's 100% occupied. And then you think, well, maybe the reason it's not 100% occupied is you're not charging enough for rent. So that's why. Which means there's moves moves to make and wiggle room that you could be more profitable than you already are. Exactly. Yes. And I love that you talk about being in control because I think this comes back to the handlebars analogy again. I mean, ultimately, what you want to do is you want to be in a position where you are an active investor. And I think this differentiation really works for anyone across the board. If you are a passive investor, you're saying, well, I don't understand any of the investments that I'm invested in. I'm just going to trust someone else. You have less control in that position than when you take an active role. I mean, how many people do you know who took a very little amount of money and created a lot of wealth with income producing assets as an active investor? I can I can name many people who've even just been on our show in addition to probably hundreds of others who have taken a small amount of money, actively became a great investor, chose to invest in things that they knew and control, expanded the, their knowledge so that they could control more and know more about the assets they were investing in, and built very successful businesses and real estate. But at the same time, I can say the number of people who have started out with a very small amount of money and passively invested, handing that over to someone else and saying, well, I hope that it all works out. The number of people who've become very successful doing that is, I can't name anyone. Well, it's once again, if you just look at the Forbes 400 list, it's not, people don't hit home runs like that. It just doesn't happen. Now, some people say, well, I don't want to be on the Forbes 400 lists. I just want to have $6 million at retirement or $2 million at retirement. It, you have to have very, very good habits and delay satisfaction into the future to be able to do that. Because you're mm-hmm. the, 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 the myth that you're going to put you know $25,000 away, compounded at some rate of return into the future, only a very small amount of people ever do that. And, and the reason I can say that confidently is we have a retirement crisis here in the United States because the, the typical person has about $35,000, you know, save for retirement. So obviously that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, it works for and, a very small amount of people, but it doesn't work for a lot of people. Right. And then you're not in control. If that asset value gets depleted because of market conditions. You're not in control if in the future, the tax brackets or tax rates increase and more of that money belongs now to the government instead of you. You're also not in control if you need to access that capital and pay taxes and penalties on being able to use that money. So if you did say, well, hey, I have all my money in retirement plans, and now I want to take that money and go invest in 
real estate or some cash flowing asset with that, you have barriers and limits to how you can do that. So something else that I want to mention in terms of minimizing the risk in your business, ultimately the end goal of being in business is to build a self-sustaining business. And this is something that I think anyone can aspire to and anyone can create. In some industries, it might be more difficult than others, but at the same time, we all have the ability to create a self-sustaining business. And part of what that would look like then is putting things like systems and processes in place, improving your business as an investment would mean things like hiring coaches and training and marketing and having the objective with all of that of turning your money into more. So I know Bruce, you talk on a regular basis, you ask most business owners how much they could expect to earn if they put their money in the stock market. And what do you normally hear from that? Yeah. Five or six percent, yeah, right? Yeah, it used to be a lot higher. Now it's about five or six percent. And then, and then, go, and then you ask them the same question. And if you took that same dollar amount, or I gave you that amount of capital for you to go into your business and either purchase inventory, pay for marketing, buy an additional operation, buy out a competitor, how much return, what rate of return would you expect in the business with that? And what do you normally hear on that? The, I'll hear anywhere between 15 and 25%. So Right. Once again, we we both know Todd Langford very very well, and you know. So if we have five five um, percent as the stock market and fifteen percent as the um, as the um, as the rate of return in the business, Investing in business, a lot of people say, "Well, that's mm-hmm. a ten percent return," but it's not because right. you're actually you're actually taking that five times and you're multiplying it by three. So it's a 300% right. return uh, on your yes. money. And I think that's a very important thing for people to understand. That's not a 10% difference. That's a 300% difference when you're, when you're talking about cash flow. Which is tremendous. And if you're in a position where you have control, you're not only getting a higher return, but it's also more in control, which means it's less risky. A less risky, higher return is a really positive thing for you in business. And so again, Richard Wilson, who works with ultra high net worth families, talks about how those high net worth families focus. They don't just think about diversifying and spreading their money across many different industries that they don't know anything about. They really put their dollars to work in ways that they have built their wealth and they have this knowledge base so that they really can understand, is this a wise investment or not? They have focused and put their money to work in assets that they know and control. So again, if you're in a position where you're in an early stage of business or you're thinking about investing in a early stage business or maybe a business that hasn't even come off the ground yet and they're just looking for angel investors or startup capital so that they can build from the ground up, maybe that is a position where you say, well, hey, this is more risky and I don't want to put all my money into this or all my eggs in one basket. I mean, I think you want to use an exercise wisdom and caution as well and don't walk away from a day job if you're trying to step into a new business that's a startup that has no cash flow yet. You're going to be in a desperate, scary position that is going to feed a negative mindset and cause you to not be as successful in business as you would like. And really what you want to do is if you're in that early stage, focus on becoming the person who can run a business profitably and that can prove to make you money so that your business is less risky as an investment. Bruce, is there anything that you would like to um, share as we wrap up this episode and really just want to leave with our listeners in terms of investing in their business. Yeah, the uh, 
the thing I think is it, this all comes down to is mindset. And when you're stuck in between two different mindsets, I think you're actually doing yourself a disservice on both ends. And I think that's where a lot of people uh, get in trouble when they're trying to become an entrepreneur or a business owner is they're stuck between two different mindsets. And I'm not talking, I think that was a great example they use. We're not saying that you quit your day job or you quit another job or you don't have cash flow and you just start another business from scratch. We're just saying that you can't, you can't start a business or buy a business and then say, oh, well, I'm going to keep some money over here off to the side just in case this doesn't work. We would say that you need to have an opportunity fund on the side for you, for you mm-hmm. but you need, to, you need to evaluate and deploy that money if the economic situations are good. And you only will know that is if you focus on that business and focus on what you know. If you try to do a lot of different things, then you're not going to know anything and then you're not going to know when to de- deploy that money, so on and so forth. So I think that's the last kind of concept that I'd like to, to leave with today. Well, I really like that you shared that. And I think I was just imagining having one foot in each world and trying to um, navigate both and saying, well, business is risky, but I also need to invest in my business to grow. And I think that brings a lot of um, frustration for a lot of people who are trying to build a business. So uh, as we wrap up this episode, we believe that it is wise to invest in your business, but first invest in becoming the business owner and the person who can create that successful, profitable, self-sustaining business. And that's the way that you maximize your control and minimize your risk. So hopefully through this episode and this discussion, we've just given you some great things to think about as you are growing your business and growing your wealth and figuring out the best way to create true time and money freedom for yourself. Hopefully you have some clarity and freedom to make financial decisions that align with your value system and are congruent with your goals and objectives that move you closer to those goals. Hopefully you have confidence and peace to know you're making the right decision of whether or not to invest in your business. Now, if you are interested in finding out more about how to personally use privatized banking or cash flow strategies that will help you increase the amount of money that you keep from what you're making, or if you're interested in alternative investments to accelerate your path to time and money freedom, we do offer a strategy call to get on our calendar to be able to talk with our advisors and be able to get that clarity that you need to move forward. You can go to themoneyadvantage.com to get started, and we will have a link in the show notes to be able to book that call directly as well. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. 
The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.